it was the most promiscuous of my lifetime. You know, I, you know, I don't see shows with naked women running around, you know, anymore. And, you know, you got to think you've probably got an audience of an average age in their early 20s. Guys in their early 20s tend to be horny 24 hours a day. Because of this MTV spring break feeling in the air, you know, there were some people who were, who were disrespectful. Listening to Subdoc, a show where we welcome our guests from comedy, TV, and film to dive into a documentary. And today's documentary is a very mixed reviewed Woodstock 99 Love, Peace, and Rage, directed by Garrett Price, out now on HBO Max. Boomer nostalgia meets Gen X new metal in a fight where no one wins. The ceremonies took place in Rome, New York, in 1999, 30 years after the initial Woodstock Festival. Seemingly small logistics issues roll into a massive and literal shit show, sprinkled with arson, sexual assaults, and at least one fatality. Do Bill Simmons and HBO lay blame where it belongs, or are they re-exploiting these events for a quick payday more than two decades later? Here to discuss these questions and more are our guests, Corey Sklar, also known as Chalky the Funk Wizard, a musician and comedic presence who has been a longtime friend of the show, and first-time guest, Adam Popigan, a comedian, public access producer, and candidate for California governor. Welcome to SubDoc, Corey and Adam. How's it going, guys? It's going great. What's up? Thanks for having us. Yeah. Hey, Woodstock. All right. And you guys watch this together, I heard. Yeah, we watch mm-hmm. this together, so we're good guests for this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and I'm not really a new metal guy, but um, I've been doing a little bit of a deep dive into into the back catalog of corn and i gotta say i kind of like corn actually this this doc made me like corn i uh hate corn <laughs> i i was around during i was around during this i mean we were all around during this time but i'm little i'm older than adam i think i'm a little older than you george maybe we we're the no, same no i'm definitely older than you okay well 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 here's the thing about new metal is what i realized okay. is like um if you were already into good music, then you did you weren't into new metal. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't into corn or slipknot or limp biscuit or mudvayne or anything because I already discovered the sick shit like Slayer and you know and Bad Brains and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we already liked good stuff. So we didn't need that introduction yet. I thought maybe you're gonna say as a bass player, you d- detested the very flabby bass tone. Of corn, of Fieldy. His name's Fieldy. Fieldy there, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I and like. He, I like how it sounds like just like uh, a trampoline. He had. There's no notes. It's just clicks, right? Yeah. He has. He has a solo album. It's, it, <laughs> it's called. It's called Basically, and it's like the shags of bass playing. Oh. It's like all off time and like the guy doesn't know how to play and it's amazing. So I, I, all your listeners should go check out basically feel these. Uh, but yeah, I was never I was never a, a big new metal guy. And um, I mean, Faith No More was it for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and uh, I have no nostalgia for this time period at all, at all. So, I mean, yeah. do you, George? Do you? Adam? Um, yeah, Adam I was, was actually. Yeah. Well, I was actually the exact age of the MTV audience at the time. I watched mm-hmm. the whole thing that weekend on MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, this is 99. So I've been 11 going into sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So I liked all that music, but I had no reference point. All I knew was like my parents' <laughs> music, which my parents aren't like, you know, like big music heads or anything. Mm-hmm. So that was just what was fed to me is like, oh, this is what a d- teenager is, which you are now. This is what we're supposed to like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I thought it, you know, I just ate it all up as it was served to me, but you, I have no, I have no nostalgia now. I don't, there, there's nothing to rediscover. There's no reevaluation of it. It's a pretty shallow genre built on exploiting 11 year olds, which <laughs> I was at the time. Now, Adam, like, did you also fall into that thing of having uh, feeling anti the boy bands at the same time or feel like there was the, the anti-marketing of all the boy band stuff that was happening because they make a big deal out of that yeah i mean that was the other side of it but i wasn't like 
man, I hate boy bands. I want to kick Justin Timberlake's ass. If I ever see him, he's better, he better run. You know, like I, like I got that there was the beef between the new metal and the boy band. I understood that the boy band stuff was not something I was supposed to like, you know, that was a bad that was for girls, you know, but, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I, 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 I didn't like hate pop music. It was just, it was part of, you know, I will say something that the documentary did not cover, which I have always said about TRL in that time period mm-hmm. is you really did have all different types of music. Yeah. You had rock, you had pop, you had R and B. Now, granted, none of that music has stood the test of time. Like none of those Christina Aguilera is kind of still around, but as a judge, on a reality show, not as a musician, you know, Britney Spears is, you know, become iconic, but more for her troubled past than, you know, any of her music or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it really is not to the test of time, but in the time period, that was the American bandstand of my generation. You really did get a little yeah. bit of everything. Your Carson Daly time period, the TRL mm-hmm. world. Yeah. I mean, I was very, I was aware of it, but not spending any time really in it. Uh, very randomly, someone I went to college with was high school girlfriend of Carson Daly, and he played golf. That's all I remember gleaning from that. So Cal guy came up on, yeah. on on K Rock 106.7. You know, that's where he came from. And then um, there was a time he had a late night show on NBC, and then like he, he might still to, have it. I think it's still on. Yeah, I think <laughs> it, it was like there was like two weird crossovers. One was like maybe 2000. I don't know nine. Uh, he, they filmed South by Southwest and they filmed like the OCs and I think like Carson Daly, like sat in on drums with the OCs. If I'm remembering this correctly, someone will correct me. Who someone hasn't get played me drums? Who, who hasn't played drums? <laughs> I the have OCs, not. George. My old um, roommates have, but I have not. And <laughs> then I, also the, uh, oh yeah, sorry. I was going to say the no. other uh, weird overlap of Carson Daly is like when I worked at Alternative Tentacles, they shot a segment on a mushroom growing operation that was in our same building and like i would just watch this one day i'm just like they couldn't come down the hall talk to the record label and they just wanted to film the mushroom business that was just growing mushrooms and i'm like oh there were spores there was like mushroom spores all over this warehouse where i worked in where there was no ventilation so that explains something yeah um yeah i don't think carson wanted to interview jello sorry no but uh uh i'm i'm looking at the lineup for Woodstock 99 and they kind of skipped over this part of it um, because there's so many bands that play it's so many yeah. and Adam is right like it's it's so it's actually very eclectic you have the jam band section you have a lot of rap rock you have a lot of there's like a, a whole stage was like what was going on in Silver Lake at the time like there was Bijou Phillips Beth Hart all that stuff was happening Jamiroquai played you know so Ben Lee like there was a lot of stuff going on and then there was the there was the rave tent there was the rock stuff so it was eclectic you can't take that away from it yeah this this uh documentary only focuses on i mean like the the, the festival opened with James Brown and that like it was given like 20 seconds of time in the entire thing and like so much time dedicated to Limp Bizkit in this thing uh, not much ICP. I was actually surprised. I thought there'd be a little more given to ICP in this as well. They weren't, they didn't, I don't think the Juggalo army was a thing at this time. They were kind of a new band, but they used the money. This is the rumor that I've always heard. They used mm-hmm. the money from Woodstock 99 to put on the first gathering of the Juggalos. Oh yeah. I yeah, heard so. that the, they were paid a half mil. Yep. A half mil. Show. Can you believe that? Just Shaggy Two Dope and Violent J got 250 <laughs> grand each. That's insane. In like, in like 1999 money, which now I, I'm pretty sure that would be over a mil. Um, I the, the film. Okay. So let's talk about the film in the sense that like, this is the first in a series called like music box, which appears to be like, it's produced by Bill Simmons. It's like a ringer film. This is basically like one of the ringer films. And I think there is maybe a connection to, the Ringer did a podcast series about Woodstock 99, and I believe that writer Stephen Hyden, uh, who is featured prominently in this, uh, worked on that podcast. So, do you want do you want to hear what else is coming down the pipeline on the Music Box series? <laughs> I I saw some trailers, but yeah, go for it. The next one is called Jagged. How influential Jagged Little Pill was. Uh, <sighs> the next one after that is Untitled DMX Project. The one after that is called Listening to Kenny G, an examination of the most popular instrumentalist and why he's so polarizing. 
Next one's Mr. Saturday Night Story of Robert Stigwood and how he amped the disco era. I want to see that one. Mm-hmm. And then Untitled Juice World movie, a film exploding, exploring the late hip hop star. The only, yeah, these this sounds bad. But Woodstock 99 was a good one out the gate. This one, it, I mean, it sparked so much conversation. It's all anyone talked about for like two weeks. Yeah, I, I think we're even at the tail end of the of the Woodstock 99 discourse, which is like, like it seemed like this is all based around stuff that came out in 2019 as like a reevaluation of this time period. Um, there, there is a lot of tonal weird things about this. Like the very beginning, when you guys watch it, is there like a little intro from Garrett Price? Like there's a little interview segment, like him explaining, like, "Well, we really had to, like, like it's like." Mm-hmm. We uh, that's what that. I, I got that on HBO Max. It was like this weird little like it's not an apology, but it's just like this unnecessary additional explanation that maybe like made me wonder, like, what what is what are they concerned about? What was he saying in it? Uh, it was just kind of like like I wanted to make this a comedy, but so many terrible things happened. And like oh. that basically was well, this maybe, like maybe yeah. we had that on ours. Yeah. yeah OK, we did, yeah, we did have that. It was okay, very we short, did but also that. seemed unnecessary. I definitely um, was not watching this movie because I was like, I didn't want to know the facts about Woodstock 99. <laughs> what really happened that weekend? Like I, like, I don't like, I don't like, I don't care what anyone's opinion about Woodstock 99 is to be honest with you. Like it just happened. This was like, you know, it, the nostalgia, like I watched it on TV the first time and now I was watching the reevaluation on TV. That's how I looked at this is this was just a continuation of the MTV. What a shit show kind of narrative. Yeah. As it. an 11 year old, what were what was the vibe when you were watching this on the first time? I definitely so like building up to it. I knew I wasn't going to go to Woodstock 99, obviously. So like <laughs> I wasn't like, man, I wish I was there. But you know, it was it was much like I approached the whole rap rock thing where I wasn't like stoked on it. I was I wasn't like, man, this looks so fun. It was just like, oh, this is the thing that that's on MTV this weekend. So mm-hmm. I guess we're gonna be watching that and we're gonna see what happens. And uh, one thing I do remember from the original coverage on MTV is I remember that DMX was like, yeah, you know, if you focus, you could write two songs a day. And then the VJ was like, was like wow, that's really, that's really good work ethic. And then I, I, and then I had no gauge of like, is that a lot of songs to write in one day? Is that not very many? Like I had no reference point at all, but I remember very distinctly him saying writing two songs a day was like, you know, peak creative, uh, your juices flowing, being able to churn out two raps a day in the studio. Um, I think that's very productive. I mean, yeah, probably at, at the lifespan of how much he accomplished in his life. Can't wait till Bill Simmons tells us all about DMX's life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Corey, what was your what was your reaction to this film uh, overall? Um, I liked it a lot, and I think the criticisms about it are valid, but I think they're also kind of weird. Like people are upset at the movie because the reactions of the promoters. And they're like, because the promoters kind of pass the buck and blame other things other than themselves. And if there's anybody to pin this on the disaster of Woodstock 99, it is these two men. Yeah, it is. I mean, they they are. It's all their fault, really. It's Mm -hmm. 100 percent is Um, they hired. They we could talk about the security guard, but they didn't hire security for fuck's sake. But like they kind of pass the buck of blame and still don't take any accountability. And people are upset about that and think it's a bad movie because of it. But like, that's the story. Like Mm -hmm. these guys are, that's how they're reacting. And that's, that's good. And that's interesting. But like, I understand like the, how they try to push these narratives. There's one talking head, George, I don't, I don't know. Remember, I don't know who the talking heads are specifically. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know, like music journalists really. Like I think I I recognize John Rob Rob Sheffield, maybe. But um, Dave, Dave Holmes. Dave Holmes was great. But like, there's the one uh, blonde woman who like really tries to push this. She's a spin writer, I think. Yeah. And she's trying to push all this modern like way of thought onto the, mm-hmm. onto the motivations of these kids. And it's just so off the mark. Mm-hmm. And, but it was, it's off the mark in like a modern way. And I mean, they, if they didn't include it, they would have got shat on even more, you know? Mm-hmm. So I liked the movie. I think it's a good movie. And there are definitely like some laugh out loud moments in this movie. And <laughs> me, me and Adam were cracking up at some points, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought it was good. I, I, I liked it a lot. I, I remember coming out of it feeling like weirdly shaken and not, I'm not sure why. Uh, I mean, just the Lord of the Flies kind of 
uh, aspect of it really did kind of affect me at the at the time. Uh, I didn't even really remember a lot of this stuff happening at the time it was happening. So like when I sort of saw how often people were just like getting assaulted, like and like also the visceral like the the uh the toilet situation was really visceral for me as well uh, let's talk to about the toilet situation that, that was a huge revelation to me because i remember watching it on tv at the time and seeing people covered in mud and going like oh this is looks fun they're covered in mud and it wasn't mud and people were rolling around in the shit water directly next to the porta potties uh and they, I mean, it's right next to the, you see the porta potties and the people that like, did they not realize it was shit, George? I, I, I think some of them did not. I don't think you'd have to be pretty impaired. Like also everyone's dehydrated on top of everything, like to cover yourself in like actual feces. I, I mean, this is like, this is making me realize I, I, it's not that I dislike any particular genre of music. I don't think I can I don't think I could go to a festival of this size with bands that I love. Like, I just think oh. I have a little bit of like a, an anxiety about being in a crowd like this. I mean, the last, I'm trying to think of the last time I went to a big festival. Um, Unless you have an artist wristband, there's no point to attend a festival. Yeah. yeah. There's no, it's going to be miserable. You're not going to have, you're not going to see like a, any great performances for all the bands. This is just a big payday. Yeah. It's a lot of fair weather fans. Yeah. No, it's not a good way to see music. Yeah, objectively, yeah. it's like it's not. I supposed to see a band as a house, and then a small club, and it like goes up from there. And the bigger yeah, yeah. the venue, usually the worse the show is going to be. And the more and the more bands on the bill, the more the, the <laughs> show sucks. Just like in general, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, um, yeah, yeah. But but you know, Lollapalooza really like cracked this thing open as far as festival. Like, oh wow, these could be really profitable. These these eclectic festivals. I mm-hmm. went to the second Lollapalooza in '94. It was dope. You know, I saw Nick Cave with L7. The and Boredoms were, did that one too, right? The, didn't the Boredoms did, the do Boredoms that did it, but they didn't, they didn't come to LA. Mm. So, they, so Guided by Voices took the Boredoms place, which 14-year-old <laughs> me saying Guided by Voices, I'm like, this is the most boring band I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but so it became, so Woodstock made sense at the time. But yeah, now it's just Coachella is just a, a mishmash of nothingness. I don't even think people that go to Coachella like music. You know what they, I mean? And they really posit Coachella as the answer to this, which is very, yeah, you're right. There was like so many other festivals that existed. There was this thing called Gathering the Tribes, which also was kind of early Lollapalooza. I mean, era. I went to, I went yeah. to the, I went to the Tibetan freedom concert, which was, oh, my, first, yeah. it was my first time in San Francisco. <laughs> oh yeah. In Golden Gate Park or something like that. Yeah. With the Beastie Boys. And now Boys. Tibet is free. Thank God. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, really worked. it really worked out for them. Oh yeah. Wait till Weiger Fest. Um, yeah. Uh, this this film also does kind of follow the logic of the promoters. It really like kind of takes the argument of it really it goes along the lines of the argument of like it's kind of Fred Durst's fault. And like it it does it doesn't it it does like in the end like the promoters say why were you willing to be interviewed again these promoters it's like i'm wondering if i was one of these promoters like why would i be willing to go on on mike and say it's because they all watch sports and they're like oh bill simmons is doing it you know what i mean (laughs) he can get these old these old dudes on the shows that might be it i mean like even that guy uh who co-founded it uh, michael lang he Mm -hmm. like he's even he what didn't organize altamont but he's like tied into Altamont, like he helped negotiate the uh, moving the concert from Golden Gate oh, Park so to Altamont. Oh, so he has Altamont. a history of huge musical-related I mean, like, disasters. Yeah, already, like out, like a year after Woodstock, he, that was Altamont. So it's, I feel like he's already kind of like done his time in like the destroying the legacy of Woodstock, like immediately after Woodstock. Now, uh, okay, they, they did this before. They did Woodstock 94. So yeah. there was, there was a Woodstock. 95, okay. 94, yeah, there was a Woodstock 94. 94. Yeah. Do you remember that one, George? Do not at all remember that. I mean, also, like, it, I don't imagine anyone, like, lighting things on fire after the cranberries. But, you know, that is <laughs> buying into the into the argument that there's something so horrific about new metal that, like, turns men into werewolves or something, which does seem like a bit of an overreach, uh, you know, this argument that they kind of weave throughout the, the documentary that somehow, like... You know, I'm not I'm no big Anthony Kiedis fan, but I'm like, 
it's your fault for booking these people. I mean, like, basically, it's like... I don't think it's their fault for booking them. It's, I mean, the, the music... I don't think the music had anything to do with the violence and the sexual assault and the fires. I think it was bad planning. I mean, okay, break stuff probably added a little fuel to the fire, but literally. But, like, no one is blaming the Red Hot Chili Peppers for actually playing the song Fire. They have more blame than Limp Bizkit, if you ask me. But it's 100 percent on the promoters with the yes. infrastructure, the lack of water, the lack of and the lack of security. So what did they do to hire security? What were they called? The Peace Patrol or some Peace shit? Patrol. Yeah. The, the get along gang. You know, that's not security. <laughs> you need like security at these you need Hell's Angels. In yeah, there. exactly. If you learn nothing from Altamont. Yeah, yeah definitely add that in. I want wonder if that went into his thinking actually you know what i mean he's like oh well we can't get actual tough guys but maybe that was you know that that wow interesting i didn't realize he had something to do with ultimate <laughs> well yeah the definitely the, there was john Scher who really comes off as the villain of this piece for sure like he's he basically blames women for being naked for the reason why people are grabbing them um, George, you've worked, uh, you've done show promotion and I have, you, yeah. you've done shows on, on, on a smaller level, but like, <laughs> much, I, much smaller level. <laughs> I think to be a big time music promoter, you kind of have to be a piece a shit of heel. shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like being a, a high powered attorney or a politician or something. I mean, sorry, I even... Adam, sorry, Adam, I know you're <laughs> going to All right. The politician Adam's, no, Adam, Adam's taught me this. He's blown this whole process open running for governor and showed me so much that like, look, these politicians, they have to have this certain mindset. And I think, you know, like if Bill Graham were alive today and he was being interviewed for something, he would be just the biggest piece of shit too. You know what I mean? I even, oh, oh yeah, for sure. And even like, I was, I was pointing out even in the beginning of summer of soul, they kind of like talk about this guy being like, he had to lie to these people to give these other people to do the show. I'm like, yeah, that's concert promotion. That is what it is. You just mm-hmm. a lot of lying and a lot of promises. Um, I mean, there was a lot of money put into this. I mean, how did they get so much money? Adam was saying when we were watching, he's like, oh, it must have been the TV rights. The how TV they got rights. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much money. Pay-per-view and they had MTV. Mm-hmm. So think about this MTV. And I don't know the exact numbers, but like, yeah. this is three days of solid programming for MTV. <laughs> so potentially this is like three days of budget mm-hmm. going just to one source, which is Woodstock 99. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is three solid days of programming that they're just spending on this. So yeah, it was the TV rights are, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I don't know. I don't know what the pay-per-view cost, but, but there's infinitely on- more people can watch it on television and the advertisers are going to want to get to those eyes versus who, who could physically attend it in Rome, New York, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, the, the TV money was, was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The lot, it was just a lot of shady money stuff happening. If you really thought about it, they didn't get into this in the doc, but mm-hmm. just like working small time shows, we, we all three of us could say like, how, where's this money coming? Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I mean, to pay all those artists, like that's big money. For yeah, God's sake. I mean, if ICP got a, uh, got a half mil, just think there's 32 Think about how much acts. Los Lobos got. Hmm. <laughs> um, this is definitely the biggest payday that yeah. probably any of these bands have ever gotten. Like wow. many, that's another thing they didn't focus on in the documentary is like, this was the pinnacle of so many careers. Like ever, ever clear played this. Everclear played this show. They played like a 45 minute set. They're never like, <laughs> they're like playing they, for the ARP now. Yeah. 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 They're playing <laughs> county fairs. Like they're never ever gonna be anywhere close to that level. Yeah. Also, too, in this era, there were a lot of these bands that had like a huge album that was like really heavily promoted and like mm-hmm. pushed and had would have like three, four big singles, mm-hmm. and then you never heard from the band again. They'd have a sure. follow-up album that would just totally flop. And there were I mean, a lot, a lot of those bands played Woodstock night. Yeah, let me run through some of the bands real quick and yeah, see yeah. if any of them like catch your ear. Okay, there was a band called Oleander, who I remember seeing their CD. Mm-hmm. Mo Lit mm-hmm. from Orange County. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge, huge hit song with my own worst enemy. And then again, Buck, Buck Cherry, Service. Buck Cherry Live, mm-hmm. uh, Offspring, of course. They're, oh, we'll talk about them. Yeah, Bijou Phillips, Ben Lee, Beth Hart. That was like what was going on in Silver Lake at the time. Los Lobos. It's not a festival unless Los Lobos plays. Guster. Yeah, I remember that name. Everclear. Oh, yeah, I think they're still uh, around. Yeah. Tragically hip. Only people in Canada know that band. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They're very popular in Canada. Thank you, uh, Canada. 
Two Skinny Jays. Does anyone remember that band? I do. Okay. I do um, not. The Gigolo Ants? What the hell oh, is that? Oh, that, that, yeah. They were kind of, they seemed like more like a college rock band, I thought. Our Lady Peace. I remember that. Rusted Root. Also. Um, and I, I'm doing like the littler bands that were just kind of faded away. The bands you know from Toronto mean? could just come down is maybe mm-hmm. part of it. They could just cross. Who are the Super Suckers? They played, aren't they like crazy? They, the rock Super band. Suckers played? Yeah. Fucking yes. Woodstock 99? Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, listen They're kind of this. Reverend Horton Heat uh, yeah. at level as far as I know. Yeah. This, is, yeah. this is very funny. On the third day, there's a stage called the Emerging Artist Stage where uh-huh. there's supposed to be like young artists playing <laughs> and John Entwistle played it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, someone from the original Woodstock has to play. That's Another right. person from the original Woodstock that played was Robbie Krieger from The Doors played with Creed. That's right. And he, was, he was wearing an Undertaker shirt and yellow pants. <laughs> <laughs> and he had his laminate on. He had his laminate on on stage. Yeah. Did you oh. do you guys have you seen the original Woodstock documentary? Because I have to admit, I've not actually watched the original I mean, one. I like, yeah, I have. I've seen it a lot. It's a good movie. You think it's um, good? Yeah. Guess what? There were way more deaths at the original Woodstock than there were at Woodstock '99. It wasn't that bad. It was and like and births. I believe there were a few births. There were a few yeah. pregnancies that were came to term during yeah. the brown acid moment. It was yeah. actually probably way worse at the original Woodstock, like the shit in the bathroom situation. You know. Well, okay. So let's get to the part that has to do with the physical infrastructure, which is like the tarmac. It was like it was a former air base, so it was like a surface. It was like a surface that just retains heat. And that w- mm-hmm. was another factor. Like I believe in the original Woodstock, it was like a mud field, which you would, at least that would not retain and reflect heat back the way uh, the pavement would at, at an air base. But um, let's throw to a clip uh, from the documentary. This is a clip from Woodstock 99. In telling the story of Woodstock 99, it would have been really easy to structure this as a comedy, poking fun of all things late 1990s, the way people dress, the music they listened to. But in reality, as that weekend unfolded, it played out much more like a horror film. Uh, I, yeah, I, Moby comes off as a total dumbass. In he's almost such a everything he's shit. in, almost everything. I mean, like his restaurant's okay. Uh, I I I like that he. I don't know if I now. I don't know if I like that he claims flipper so hard, or it's just like another and thing that he claims so hard. He to just try the, to prove like I like Mission of Burma and Flipper, and therefore he, he always claims I'm not the the the, the, yeah. the void faith split too. He always talks about yeah. So <laughs> he's he's like the guy who's like I'm the dance music. I was the biggest dance music guy, but I'm a rock guy too, kind of. Well, Moby he's really is a poser, and this yeah. is how you know a poser is they call punk music, they call it punk rock. They say, well, I was into punk rock bands and like no punk calls it that. It's just called punk. And punk, by the way, has been around for 40 years. Like it's yeah, so not old. progressive. It's like it's ingrained in the, the shopping malls Dude. and suburbs of America so deep. There's probably three generations of punks in Orange County at this point. So if you call it punk rock, you're a fucking poet. I'm also seeing like a lot of like punk anti-vax stuff coming out. Have you been seeing that? Uh, there's it's yes, kind of like the wellness community anti-vaxxing there's punk anti-vaxxing there's just like any kind of contrarian like they just took the contrarian aspects of punk and literally that's all it is it's just yeah i'm not gonna take my, my medical advice from the guy from the dwarves or anything but yeah <laughs> Mo- moby is really uh he's he talk about revisionism he's like yeah i just knew this wasn't the place to be i knew this i'm like no you fucking didn't no. dude you were all about it this was your life you were hitting on the girls you were taking drugs like fuck you moby stop trying to act like you're better than everyone and also <laughs> his restaurant is actually the worst restaurant i've ever been to in my life okay they have this um ahi tuna <laughs> that they make out of watermelon and like fuck that okay <laughs> i went with my vegan sister so like i'm always i was like pleasantly surprised by some like the polenta but that also was like several years ago i'm sure it's all kind of gone he also seems like he semi like just clowned himself by like saying he dated natalie portman and like 
A, you were like 15 years older than her and she was like, what, like 20 at the time? And she's like, that never even happened. So like just all yeah. bad all around. He's, yeah, he's, he lies. He, he's, a, he's a poser, he's a revisionist and he's a, he's a liar. Not but even both, a vegan. <laughs> I went to his restaurant twice and he was there both times. I just uh. want to say that. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, he was a talking head. He was one of the per- performers they got that they were able to get in this movie. And yeah. they got some good ones. They got Scott from Creed, who's mm-hmm. looking he's looking crazy jewels yeah. looking amazing yeah they got uh jonathan davis recording. jonathan davis who looks great himself yeah. he looks really good but they got the guy from the roots Tariq, who looks great but yeah. i gotta talk about the offspring really quick because they look fucking crazy dude <laughs> you're right 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 when that when that came up and they sh- you showed <laughs> oh. them firstly that one guy i didn't i know i'm not a big offspring guy but noodles and dexter noodles noodles was already much older than all of the rest of them in the 90s He's kind of like the Billy Zoom. In the he's he's the Mick Mars. <laughs> but yeah. We needed that, yeah, OC veteran punk. They were funny. They were funny in the movie, and yeah. um, their set looked pretty sick, actually. Like, I never was a big Offspring fan. They kind of stink, but they were their set. So, it, the that Americana, their album, that was the first CD I ever bought, besides Queen's Greatest Hits, which I had as on cassette as a kid. Mm-hmm. But the first CD I ever owned was Americana Offspring. They were huge on TRL. They had a lot of these, I guess, I mean, let's call them what they are, novelty songs. Pretty Fly mm-hmm. for a White Guy, that's like a novelty song, you know? So as an 11-year-old, I was like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. In 1999, the Offspring played, so I guess this would have been around the same time as Woodstock 99. They played Irvine Meadows, which is a big venue out here. Probably one of the bigger venues in Southern California. In 2010 i saw them play at the irvine meadows and now they played there at the height of their career Mm -hmm. i saw them play like when i was in college they were still playing a huge ass venue 10 years after their peak just based on the strength of those couple hits yeah so yeah that's another thing i think that i really think that the documentary didn't focus on is like how big these bands actually were at the Mm -hmm. time how many records they were cds they were selling Mm-hmm. And then now there are these like nostalgia acts and it's like, oh, Dexter, noodles, what do they have to say to these old men or whatever? But like <laughs> they were at the forefront of the music industry at this time period and are still popular enough to play these huge venues. And that show at the Irvine Meadows that I went to in 2010, that was the worst show I've ever been to in my <laughs> life. Hands down. There's a part where like they wheel out a piano and Dexter does that. <laughs> and it feels heaven is so far away. And he's like doing it on piano and he's like hitting like, it sounds like a like a like when Lurch plays the piano on like Adam's family. <laughs> and it's like this wasn't like they surprised him with the piano, yeah. like, hey, there's a piano here, Dexter play. He chose to bring this piano on tour and he can't even fucking play it. Like it was pathetic. <laughs> oh man, I, I I haven't been to a festival in a while. The last festival I was at was FEF Fest in twenty must have been twenty seventeen. And I'm trying to remember like who was at that festival built to spill at every festival somehow like i'm seeing built to spill uh erica badu blonde uh, redhead probably played i did see blonde redhead (laughs) sleep played captain jazz played i of course was there that's sick Uh, producer nick will be jealous that i saw captain jazz twice in my life he's probably seen them uh yeah and uh you know run the jewels nine inch nails we left during night. We left at the very end of Nine Chanel's just to take public transit back home. But yeah, um, I, I that's the last time I've been to any kind of huge thing. And even then, I was just like, this doesn't all make sense. But it kind of just makes sense as like, LA people like this music. I guess that's like the commonality. It's just like you know that at least sort of had a tie-in to it. It's not trying to be trying to like be a generation-defining event. In also. They, they talk a little bit about how basically we this whole thing is just like the shadow of the boomers continues to dominate everything, which I think is one takeaway. It's like, why even bother doing this? Because there is like so much name association with Woodstock that like every generation has to like compare themselves to Woodstock. I, I think that was I think that was one of the narratives that was actually pretty on the on the mark was mm-hmm. that like the, the audacity of the boomers. I think it's true. Like, I mean, that's that was our our whole lives was only good music is Jimi Hendrix and Rolling Stones. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, That's what I was just bashed into our heads. And I 
So I think that was a good point. I don't really, I never thought of it before. I'm like, wait, yeah, why did we need another Woodstock? What the fuck, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the boomers may have a point though on that because it's like Jimi <laughs> Hendrix is much better than Limp Biscuit. Like, like no I mean I think we fair. can agree now now that it's been you know a while that the music of the 60s is objectively like the best music. <laughs> it's like they were right. So okay what about this thesis in the movie the death of Kurt Cobain cast oh God. such a shadow such a dark uh, shadow over culture that that led directly to school shootings and misogyny <laughs> and rape culture. Just the death of Kurt Cobain. It was so shocking. So shocking that this rock star died that total, it just ruined the decade. Total bullshit. Total bullshit. Wasn't, it wasn't the way it was. Not at all. The death of Kurt Cobain had nothing to do with it. If Kurt Cobain would have stayed, would have been alive, I'm actually not sure if new metal would have happened. I don't know. But it, I mean, it, it, we weren't thinking that. I was fully ensconced in the new metal scene, even though I didn't like it because I was in in metal in metal bands here in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't playing like cool punk shows. I was like playing shitty shows on the Sunset Strip. And mm-hmm. every band there was big pants, white guy with dreads, rapper, DJ, and it sucked so bad. Static X. <laughs> You know, all these bands. It just sucked. Booba Stank, it sucked so bad. So, uh, but like, no one was thinking about Kurt Cobain. You yeah, know like I mean? the, 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 prem- <laughs> the premise is like, it's like if Kurt Cobain, like, there was no way, like, the bands that Kurt Cobain championed would have been playing a festival of this size because it just was not. If there was like a, a basically like an All Tomorrow's Parties kind of thing where it's like Kurt Cobain curates a show, it's like the Melvins. Daniel Johnston, Raincoats Reunion, stuff like that. It's just not going to be bands that were like sort of, you know, drifting in the wake of of grunge. I, I mean, I guess to say that like grunge was not like politically savvy as an overall thing on its own either. Like whereas Rage Against the Machine was political. And they played this festival. Not much is talked about that. It's like, like you know, a very explicitly political band played this festival. So, like, a lot of the theses that have been thrown around here about, you know, like, there's something that is, uh, like, culture was its, at its worst during this time is clearly not true because culture has gotten worse since then. I feel like, I feel yeah. like now culture is even worse than Woodstock 99. Kid Rock gets political in this movie for a second, if oh, you remember. God, yes. <laughs> can yeah. we throw it? Can we, we'll just have to play this yeah. quote. This is, this is um, a classic quote from Kid Rock. You know, a lot of times when, like, when white people have embraced hip-hop, they've ignored the funk, they've ignored the R&B, you know, they've ignored the subtlety, and they've embraced homophobia and misogyny. If you don't like Kid Rock, you can suck my dick! The same thing with metal. There's a lot of wonderful, celebratory, joyful, fun metal, but somehow new metal embraced the troglodyte elements. Now listen close. You want me to get political? Well, this is about as deep as Kid Rock thinks. Monica Lewinsky is a fucking hoe, and Bill Clinton is a goddamn pill. I'm granted this is over 20 years ago, and I'm still so baffled, like how it went from the sort of progressive, enlightened values of Kurt Cobain and Michael Stipe to misogyny and homophobia and the rape frat boy culture that was at Woodstock. That being said, he's still in the political zeitgeist. You know, he's still he's still I mean, he's a full-on Trumper, you know, that's, and he's, people sure. are, he's still making news about it. So it maybe was a precursor yeah. to all this, you know? Well, that's how things were, especially on MTV in 1990. What were the most popular things in 1999? South Park, toilet humor. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, American Pie. The Tom Matrix. Green. Was that Legal 82? Yeah. Yeah, that was, maybe it was 2000. Yeah. But, I mean, at least on MTV, it was very crude. It was very sexist. It was very, like, frat boy-esque. Look. And then... The part of the story that always kind of gets taken out of this equation is this whole time that things were like that, the right was being like, the right was like, Hollywood is way too sexual. 
Hollywood is showing crazy violence to our kids. Like Hollywood's kind of bad. And then 15 years down the line, you get me too. And everyone's just like, forgets that part that there was like a lot of criticism about this era, about how it was over-sexualized mm-hmm. and uh, you know, how there were like nefarious actors pulling the strings and show business and stuff. And then the culture war just flips into the right goes, well, people are too sensitive. We like Hollywood now, you know, like whatever it's, it's culture war stuff and it goes back and forth. But I think it is worth noting that like there was, you know, like, like people like, yeah, Marilyn Manson, he's a bad person. Mm -hmm. And like, nah, it's freedom of speech. People can say whatever they want. And then it turns out like he actually is a bad person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you know? Um, Yeah. But that, I mean, that was in the zeitgeist and this sort of, certainly coming out of Hollywood was this very like oversexed, like lesbian twins. I remember as like an 11 year old, like that was just like pushed so much. It's like, these twins are going to les out with each other. That's like the hottest thing. Tattoo? I'm like, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. I guess lesbians are hot. Like they're not, yeah. not hot, but like, I don't like what, like why? Like girls awesome. gone wild was in the same era where yeah, they, like, what, there was like stuff, a few but, things I were throwing in here. Girls gone wild. And then like Monica Lewinsky is like, like I, I didn't know what points they were trying to make with those two things. Like, like, just it was a horny oh, time. It was, it was on VHS. It was on VHS. Like people had to like order VHS tapes of of girls going wild, and now you don't have to do that. You don't need the VHS tape. Of they it. had. I remember the, the infomercials for I do girls gone wild. Yes. I would watch those as like Cali- a twelve year old. Like yeah, the like the, the steel drum, steel drums. Yeah. I only associate steel drums with that now in the back of my head. Um, there, but speaking of sexism, uh, this is like a weird choice in this film, which is they talk about how exploitative it is to have all these naked women on pay-per-view running around. And then they just keep showing it like over and over again. And like, it's like, yeah. it's really like trying to have it both ways. I think I have heard other criticisms of this documentary of like, this sort of like having it both ways is of like, kind of like, like, like trying to, you know, play a couple of different arguments against each other and be like, I guess it's up to you at the end, even though it's squarely blaming the promoters. Um, there, there's still a lot of like, like the filmmaking ethics of just like, you could talk about the fact that women were exploited without just perpetuating that. Also, you know, maybe some of those women, you know, they must've signed a release to just be on the premises of that whole place. I don't think you signed a release. I think it's one of those things where there's signs posted up. Yeah. Yeah, We're like, you're you're here. But I think I, I, I I understand the argument. I think it would be dumb of them not to have the show, the footage of all the Mm -hmm. naked people. Like you have it. It's It's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, the problem wasn't so much everyone getting naked. It was the entitlement of the men there just like touching and ripping Mm -hmm. everyone's clothes off. That's, that was the problem. You know, right. and they don't have any footage of that. <laughs> yeah, they don't have footage of that. So they just keep showing the same people like flashing the camera like it's like, yeah. Mardi Gras stuff. Um, one of the revelations to this movie that for me made it a really good documentary was the footage of the press conferences that they kept. Oh, holding. yeah, those are great. Actually, it was so like good. Yeah. And so so the 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 journalists and the correspondents from MTV, for some reason, the two promoter dudes were actually holding <laughs> press conferences daily throughout this shit show. Yes. I don't know why they were doing it because yeah. they were, it was a disaster yeah. and they were, been- get, they were getting, they were yet, they were getting very confrontational with the people yeah. asking the questions. They were fighting with them and it's very good. It's like very, very good footage. It's an, it's yeah. fascinating footage. And if for any, for the only reason to watch this movie for that footage, I think is, is worth it. It's, it's like the, the hubris of the boomers to be like, we we defined our generation. Now we'll define your generation, and we'll do it like in this very like you know shitty way. And but very- these guys were driving off into a hotel after these press yeah, conferences, yeah. while these kids were stuck there and and covered in shit. Yeah, no oversight. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think everyone camped either. That was something that they kind of. Like I know this would go against the point that they were trying to prove, but I would have loved somebody have been like. Yeah, we got a hotel. We brought our own water, and it was actually a pretty fun weekend. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not like they're forced to camp there. Like, you could have mm-hmm. gone home. You could have gone. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know. Adam's uh, friend. Adam's friend does a long running Woodstock '99 podcast called Podcast '99. It's very good. Okay. And um, yeah, they get people that were there sometimes, right, Adam? They're like, oh, yeah, it was a great survivors. Weekend. Yeah, they get and they said, yeah. oh yeah, th- it was fine. I saw some of my favorite bands. Went home. It was great. You know, yeah. oh, well, there's there's a lot of those stories. Yeah. 
I would think that there that like if you were not there, if you dipped out before the very last day, you probably just avoided. I mean, if I went to any event and it ended with a huge like bonfire, I'd be kind of sketched out, you know, no matter what, who, no matter who was playing. It could be like Godspeed You Black Emperor ends with like <laughs> a bunch of people like setting buildings. Actually, that is probably what should happen after one of those shows. Yeah. Oh, you know what they missed too? And I, I Adam brought this up when we were watching it. And I think it's such a good point is that like, I don't think the 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 disaster would have been as big if it happened in California. I think mm-hmm. it was a very East Coast mentality. It was a lot of Boston people there. You know <laughs> oh, what I mean? Yeah, right. Mass hole, a mass hole riot is that? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that, it's a different. It's a totally like you know over there it's Springsteen, it's Billy Joel. Over here it's Sublime, and like you know what I mean. We're chill in California. Mm-hmm. Over there, those people are angry. Okay. Yeah. Well, that there's sort of like an argument about like just men are angry no matter what. Right. Like that's kind of the other thing that kind of comes out of like these white men have all this privilege and they need something to be upset about. And then this bad quote from Moby about like new metal is only taking like misogyny from like hip hop, which is like a, like that's really insulting in the first place to say like, that's like misogyny is like the domain of hip hop and like another bad Mobyism, um, but yeah, like there's sort of like uh, this idea that like, th- and then there's also this sort of like loose association to the January six riots, and uh, you know, like I don't think they're causal. <laughs> I think there probably are some people that were at both. It just seems by nature there would be a few. If we were to blame a, a, a band on January six, who would it be? Like um, like Trace Atkins or something. Uh, oh, there's a the hip hop uh, movement. Are you familiar with the hip hop movement? Hell yeah, I am. Oh I, Adam makes me listen to pop country in his car, and it's Adam, like, do you I'll- like this stuff? Yeah, I do. I don't like every single one blindly, but um, yeah, I like the eclectic nature of the music, and I like the how they're able to find a new way to like tell these like country stories and mm-hmm. how. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like the song craft and uh I find it impressive that they can figure out a way to make a song that like like Florida Georgia Lion has a has a song where they're like, mixtapes got a little Hank, little Drake. And it's like, oh, Drake and Hank Williams are in this like new and this is like this is country. This is, you know, us coastal elites, you know, this is hick music, this is, you know, unenlightened stuff. And then here mm-hmm. they are talking about actually having an eclectic and making new music that's actually relevant, like music on the radio that has at least something I can relate to. I like, I don't know. I think that they've taken country in order to survive has had to take a little from rock, a little yeah. from hip hop, and it's a little from pop and it's kind of the and a little from country, obviously. Right. And it's kind of the only part of the music industry that's still like how the music industry has always been. And I, I, I came across a couple of like very, like very Trumpy hip hop artists that I think are maybe on the more indie spectrum of things. And the names are escaping me now, but like, I just like went down a rabbit hole. Like I found one and I found like five of them and I was just like, wow, I, this is just a subgenre I was not familiar with. Um, but I, yeah, maybe Florida Georgia line I've heard of. They seem like a bit more mainstream than maybe some of these guys I'm thinking. They're like distro kid, like like Trumper, distro kid yeah. MAGA hiccup. Basically. Yeah, no, anything that's going to make it onto the radio in Los Angeles and the yeah. second biggest market in the country is going to be pretty yeah. inoffensive, pretty mainstream. Yeah. Um, there, OzFest was also like around the OzFest lineup. That was a little after. Kept going. That was, was a little, little bit after, after this. Yeah. And, but that's more new metally. But then, like, and, but, and was on those. they yeah, also yeah, had real actual metal yeah. on Ozfest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was like, fully checked out by the time Ozfest <laughs> was big. I was just like, I'm just that now. I'm now I'm a cool kid, and I only go to the smell and go see, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Maishi and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and so in, in when Ozfest, so a year after Woodstock '99, so this would have been the summer of 2000. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we were being raised on this diet of MTV and now getting a little older is going into seventh grade now. <laughs> and my friend from sixth grade was like, hey, my dad's going to get his concert tickets. We can go to Ozfest or we can go to the Warp Tour. And I remember that being like a very like, OK, what kind of guy am I going to be? Am I going to be a metal guy or am I going to be a punk? Like, which one is it going to be? And I was like, we got to go to the Warp Tour. And then, yeah. you know, now here I am all these years later. So I- there you go. 
I went to a warp tour once in 2000, I want to say three. And because uh, my my bandmate Vice Cooler w- really wanted to go, and then we just made we had to come up with an excuse, so we just said like I'm gonna write about it for the All Weekly in San Francisco, <laughs> and I just like wrote about one of the side stage bands, but like it was I I, I got like heat stroked, and uh, I saw Paris Hilton before I knew who she was. Uh, she was dating uh, a guy from Sum 41, I believe at the time. That's it's a Canadian Charlotte, one, right? Yeah. It's, They're it's, both Canadian? A, Sum 41 is like a, a little guy with spiky blonde hair. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's Sum 41. Yeah. He was dating Paris Hilton. We saw her. I didn't know who she was. She gave me a real shitty look. Like, what are you doing talking to my man or whatever? Well, and that, I wasn't know, even talking to him. It's interesting. Um, pop punks, uh, it's it's still around. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's still very popular. So, I mean, someone's got to do a. Bill Simmons got to do a documentary on the longevity of pop punk next. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, a pop punk documentary. <laughs> yeah, I got to be in that. Like, like HBO style. Come yeah. on, that'll be great. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the rancid documentary for sure. Um, there, there. Well, there was like the the Gilman documentary, or not the Gilman. Uh, there was also just an overall East Bay punk documentary. There's an East Bay documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah it came out. Uh, it made me realize that East Bay punk isn't that great. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 this very it's very. I, I, it's just so much of my personal background is that Gilman world. It's, it's just like, it's just a subculture that I was. So like when I think of 1999, I'm like, what did I listen to in 1999? I'm like, Lauren Hill came out in 19. I was like going to see the Eiler set and like Lauren Hill's album. And then like the, when I, I don't think of the matrix I or like, you know, one of the Wachowski movies, I'm like, I was really into Rushmore in 1999. So I think that's when I, was, I think of that. That was my cultural, it, like Bell and Sebastian or something. Yeah, I was yeah. listening to Bell and Sebastian. I think I was listening to like a lot of like Aphex Twin and like mm-hmm. Re- Reflex Records and Warp Records stuff. I think I was like, I'm done with guitars in that year, just that specific year. Then I got back into guitars the next year. Yeah, I think that was the first year I heard, or maybe the second year I heard Lightning, or I heard Lightning Bolt's first record and I was just like I, I I like this thing that sounds like it was recorded inside of a blender like the microphone was in the blender while it was going on mm-hmm. um at the same time like Lauren Hill's album was huge um so, yeah so I don't know like I don't have a lot of nostalgia for the bands from this period um I don't particularly even like Jewel or Alanis Morissette very much uh, there it was it was shocking that there were only three women booked on an entire three-day festival though that seems indicative of something uh but i don't know that like having more women would that have made less rioting happen that's kind of the argument that's embedded inside of this well, it's a, it's- john, john tafford uh Corey's good friend john tafford uh from bar rescue uh says that if you have a bar where there's a lot of fights you should play a female artist like every three songs because it chills everybody out huh so if there had been more female artists, yeah, there definitely would not have been as much rioting and sexual assault. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. So like, yeah, like exactly. Like I was like, w- the cranberries should have come back. They should have brought the cranberries back. It doesn't matter though. It's 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 a it's a futile argument because I mean everything was dictated by the record companies at this time. Mm-hmm. If Kurt Cobain died or not, they saw where the money was. Like, I mean that's why Kurt Cobain got huge because they saw that there was money there, so they pushed this stuff. And then there was a million shitty grunge bands. And then who was the first new metal band to get really big? Was it Corey? Rage Against the Machine? We talked about this. We were watching it. It was Rage Against the Machine. That's crazy because everything that had like there wasn't a million bands that sounded like Rage after Rage. It all sounded like shit. So, but I guess I mean that's the well, Rage Against the Machine has a virtuoso guitar player. Like you can't just get a really good guitar player in your band, especially if you're from where's Limp Bizkit's from Gainesville. Like what you're you not going to have access to the talent that like Rage Against the Machine has in Los Angeles. You know, West just Borland not- is a sick guitar player. So well, he uh, looks I- cool, but he's not a good guitar player. Have you noticed this, George? Have you noticed that like for some reason right now, there's like a, a resurgence, uh, like there is a critical reevaluation of Limp Bizkit themselves. Like this, I saw on this, Twitter this, or something. I thought it was tied into this doc though. Possibly. This came out. No, this came out like right at the time where, Fred Durst that he just played a show mm-hmm. and he dressed funny and everyone's like, Oh, look how funny he dresses. We love Fred Durst. Like, I don't know if people are loving 
Limp Bizkit right now. And it's weird. I think it's just, it's it, this timing with this talk happened, but like they suck, right? They've always yeah, sucked, yeah, right? They, okay. they, the lyrics are very bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's laughable how bad the lyrics of Limp Bizkit are to the point where I'm like, I'm like, oh, I think I like the corn lyrics. I think if you put corn against Limp Bizkit, corn is definitely a better musical act. I don't know if you would agree with that. I mean, they they have less riffs, but they're more of a singular sound, I'd say. But get, let's get down to it, George. Is Limp Biscuit at fault for anything in this at, at this Woodstock '99 debacle? Did uh, they do anything wrong? Were they? Is was it during their set that people started tearing down the wooden like, and then people were like sur- surfing on the wooden? There's planks. so much great footage of like fat, chubby white teens <laughs> surfing on wooden planks and they're just they have no hair on their body and they have no tattoos and they're just like pale and it's amazing foot it's really incredible i think only one person dying that they talk about is like pretty good like how many people died during this whole thing considering how much one's the only one's the only confirmed death that's only that guy and it was like a, a dehydration yeah and he died during the pit he died in Metallica. the pit for Metallica, which is how he wanted to die. Yeah. That's a, I don't also, think how he wanted to die. I think he wanted to see Metallica. That was, I think where the, the goal ended. Just he, like, wanted, he died doing what man, he Man, I hope I die Journaling. <laughs> yeah. I also like have to say, like, like, when they start just reading his journals, I'm like, this guy's dead. Like, half an hour in, I'm like, why are they reading his journals? This guy died for sure. Like, it's definitely <laughs> did, like did you did you telegraphed. like that? Did you like that through line in the documentary? I, I think it, I did. Like, I, liked I mean, it. it's sad watching his friend cry, like talking about like, you know, he was a simple guy who just wanted to see Metallica. And then he did. And then he he didn't drink enough water because it was too expensive. The water was too expensive. I mean, his his um his diaries were very very good documentation of what happened during that weekend mm-hmm. though it was very good he's like yeah there's a lot of dumb guys here a lot of guys just yelling for tits the water is expensive <laughs> there's shit everywhere like he yeah, he's I don't know what's a famous documentarian in the history anyway yeah, a, I Ken, think his, a Ken Burns letter I, about I think his, yeah exactly I, I think his, the Ken it should have been the Ken Burns pan that's slow yeah that slow <laughs> I think his texts are very important to the story so I, yeah. I'm glad they included it I no, think yeah, it was, yeah yeah I I I think that the, this felt like two hours was a little long even though this was like they had so much footage to work with I, it it did feel like if you took out a lot of the cultural commentary contextualization stuff, they had a lot of talking heads doing this contextualization. Um, I think it would have been you could have cut a half hour out of this thing. And yeah. some of it I don't think was necessary. Um, this would have worked just as well as an episode of Behind the Music. Like yeah. if they had just given it the Behind the Music 34 minute treatment, like it would have been. Nobody would be talking about it. It yeah. wouldn't be lauded, but it would have been the same story. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if many people have been lauding this, but it's definitely like it's brought up a lot of issues for a lot of people. I, that's, I do. That's, a, that's yeah. a good. That's I think that's a marker of success. Is yeah. if people are talking about it. If they're you know, if it gets you your documentary deal where you get to make five more of these about every other stupid subject. Yeah, the guy. I'd be like, why does Bill Simmons get to like tell me about music? You want me to make a documentary about sports? Like, yeah, I was gonna say something I don't know shit about. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, people love the thirty for thirties, but just like Netflix already tried to kind of do a thirty for thirty about music, which is the This Is Pop series, which are like definitely like more superficial. I mean, this is like, this is like I don't know if I agree with the a lot of the stuff that's been said in this thing, but I I guess it's not superficial. Like it definitely like is a, it's a, it's a deeply, they have a lot of archival footage to work with. So, but I do feel like I don't have a sense of, you know, I, I, my sense of like what it was probably like to be there is I would be hot and I would probably just want to leave. That would be Mm -hmm. my sense of it. And you'd also be like, yo, all this music sucks. I mean, I would be like, I legitimately thought the the two minutes of corn that were shown were like I I probably would have liked this if I was just a little younger. I mean I the kind of like play? am okay with it now. I don't think they played this thing. Yeah, okay. but like so. I w- I would definitely be excited to see Nine Inch Nails. I feel like uh, my interest in these bands I just wasn't interested in these bands at the time, for the most part. And you know I don't think anyone 
like off that list that you read, like I don't even think I like Ben Lee anymore. Ben Lee is like selling essential oils. Yeah. He's like he's like a he's like Fuck a guy. MLM guy. So I don't know. I I'm the nineties. Everclear might be Everclear might be the best band that came out of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah def, I mean the Chili Peppers are this weird thing that just never goes away. The Chili Peppers will always kind of like they're gonna be touring forever. They're gonna be we're from SoCal. Heads. We have to like them. I'm not from SoCal, so I'm dope. Mean, yeah. Dope. <laughs> I was thinking about like the bands that were my like my '90s bands. Like the, it was a big deal. When like Jawbreaker was like on a major label, so it's like I, I was definitely not paying attention to a lot of this stuff when it was happening, or really that much MTV. Uh, I think I'm just dating myself by talking about it like this, but um, <clears throat> definitely I did a lot of concert promotion. I never really thought about all the damage that could be done. Really had a huge uh, reevaluation of a lot of this stuff after Ghost Ship. Even I was just like damn, I really wasn't thinking about what could go wrong. And like, I think it's important for some adults in, in these situations to be thinking about that. And it wasn't the guys that were like 30 years older than everyone else. They actually didn't do much planning at all. Uh, they just were, their main concern was not having all these people sneak in like they did in 94. And that's basically why they moved into this Air Force base so they could control it better. And they, it was all, and, and to go back to, it was about the money. Everyone was mad that it was like they're being taken advantage of. They had uh, $4 waters. They had no good facilities. Uh, it was like a mini rebellion, but that they elected to be in. I mean, the other things this is very similar to, Fire Festival documentary, uh, which, you know. Which one? Uh, I would say <laughs> this is more like the Netflix Christmas one, I think. Uh, okay. but yeah, like it, it, this doesn't even take, that's the suck dick harder. for water one, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And Andy sucking dick for water. Yeah. Like we could have used Andy in Woodstock 99. Um, it just makes me afraid of people again. I don't know. I was just like, just getting back in the idea. Like I can be around people. And then this comes out. I'm like, no, nah, people are bad. People are bad. Uh, huge gatherings of people inherently bad. That's what I come down to. Yeah, agree 100%. And um, actually, right after this recording, I'm going to go meet Adam at a free concert in a park and we'll let you know how the bathroom situation is. But that's going to be like. And if any lessons were learned. That's going to be police state, though. That's going to be like SoundCloud level people, though, not MTV level people, not Viacom. There's no Viacom pay per view at the MacArthur Park where you guys are going. So. I, I might. I'm just trying not to catch COVID to go see like a band I like. Oh, did well, hold on. Before, was there a scene where the mayor of New York comes and says hi to everybody? Mayor of Rome. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, right. I love it's. It's kind of like the Olympics. Like they thought that they would be making money for the city, and it just cost the city money. Mm-hmm. So, Summer of Soul also has a scene where the mayor comes and says hi to everybody. <laughs> yeah. So right, that's right. like a thing festivals have to do. The mayor has to come and say. I wonder if Eric Garcetti is going to come and say. Today. By the time, by the time the uh, oh, tonight, yeah, maybe Garcetti. But I was gonna say, I think he's out pretty soon. Speaking of politicians being out pretty soon, Adam, what do you want to say about your your run for governor? Well, uh, you know, if you've enjoyed my uh, my banter here on the show today about <laughs> uh, you know uh, music, and and you think that maybe uh, you're like. Oh, that guy's kind of relatable. Like maybe he wouldn't be such a bad governor. Take it one step further. Like, why do we let these like robot, like lame opportunist, elitist, rich people, why are they the only ones who are qualified to run for government? And we just sort of just accept that that's the fact. Like we need more people like us in government. And that's the whole point of my campaign. So if you live in California and you haven't cast your ballot yet in the recall election, vote for me if you want. Like I'm not going to win. Like I don't, I don't care whatever you want to do. <laughs> but, you know, like... I support the recall because I think Gavin Newsom is a lame, rich guy who doesn't care about us. And, uh, you know, uh, vote for me is what I'm trying to say. Let's just remind people when the election is. Even if you don't vote for Adam, you should be aware of when this recall election is happening. 
September 14th, but they're mailing ballots to people now. Okay. That kind of backfired on the Democrats, the voting access thing. <laughs> something comes that they don't want people to vote for. Because Newsom is telling people not to vote. So oh he's like, God. it's not as far as go- voter suppression. He's like out there, like the governor of California is like, yeah, vote no on the recall and uh, leave the second part blank. Don't vote for any candidates. It's like, I don't know. That's like a lame, it's a slippery slope and it's lame and like yeah. both sides are bad. Both, both sides are bad. Both sides are bad. I don't want uh, Gavin Newsom, not my favorite. I lived in San Francisco, you know, in, in the last two decades, but uh, you know, I used to call him like shitty Batman, uh, shitty Christian Bale Batman. And then Jerry Brown is sort of like Dark Knight. Uh, that's how I view those guys. But um, I, vote. Uh, check out Adam's websites. Uh, Adam, uh, this, do you like this is your first podcast? You've been on some podcasts. I've been on many podcasts, man. But, I uh, thought I was breaking. I thought I was breaking some new ground here. Adam Pop again. First time on SubDoc. Glad to have you. You're welcome back. Uh, Corey, what do you got to plug? Nothing. You're doing talkies talkies in October. October 20th, talkies. Yeah, I'm in uh, San Francisco and uh, vote for Adam. You could vote no on the recall, but still vote for Adam. That's right. You can do both. That's a good compromise. Mm -hmm. Definitely don't vote for Christian Bale, Batman. Uh, Guys, I'm going to go listen to some corn i'm gonna add some backwards r's to my name on twitter handle so that'll be that'll be my tribute oh to you should start this podcast with uh the are you ready from corn <laughs> i i just want to start doing i want an acapella version of the sub doc theme song in the style of corn like a boom bam boom 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 kind of the, the scat i like there's a little scat in there Guys, I'm turning it. I don't know what's happening to me. Also, like this also reminded me. This is also the prequel to Memorial Day 2000. I forgot to mention that this is very much the prequel to Corey was on our Memorial Day 2000 episode. All like the, great, all great the elite. I, I realized how, what an elitist uh, hand ringer pearl clutcher I was during Memorial Day 2000, and now I'm coming around to be like, I kind of think corn's okay uh, when I'm watching. <laughs> I'm like, they're not. It's not their fault that there was assaults. Okay, guys, that's not a good way to end, but I don't know what else to do because we've hit our time limit. Uh, thank you, Corey. Check out Chalky on Twitter, Adam Pop again. Uh, vote no on the recall, yes for Pop again. <laughs> well, I think uh, you should vote yes on the recall personally okay. because it's my show, Adam. It's my show. All right, okay. okay. I, All right. I'm the Viacom okay. of this show. All right. If you want to help, why don't you get over here? You can help monitor all this stuff. Also, if anyone needs to watch this doc, just hit me up. I'll give you my HBO Max login. That's worth that. You can watch Suicide Squad on Corey Sklar's <laughs> login, and we'll we'll talk about uh, King Shark next time. Uh, another valid documentary topic. Thanks so much, guys, for being on SubDoc. Thanks, George. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about SupDoc at SupDocPodcast.com, recapping reality since 2015. Our theme song was written by David Siegel, and our show was engineered by Will Scoville. Our associate producer is Nick Colsis. Please donate to the show through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash SupDocPodcast. If you want to help us in other ways, please share the show with a friend. Join the Doc Talk and check out our hot takes, pictures, and videos on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're SupDoc Podcast on all of those platforms. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can find Paco and George's comedy gigs when those are happening again on the About Us page on the site. And SupDoc is by Doc Fans for Doc Fans. So if you want to advertise, got a film or opinions you want to share, just hit us up. We'd love to hear from you and what you're docking out on. Email us at subduckpodcast at gmail.com. 